Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this episode, Dr. Rebecca Shellcross and I tackle some really big questions around the patriarchy. What is the antidote to the oppression of women? What is true choice versus what we just do because we're hitting upon the barriers set up by white heteronormative patriarchy? And how does the pressure of the patriarchy impact on women's mental health? Although this is a tough topic, do bear with us because we also bring some light and humour to this. I do uh, crack a bit of a joke around bread makers and we also consider how to break the good girl narrative through allowing ourselves the permission to be non-productive and finding rest. So let me introduce you to Dr. Rebecca Shalkwas, who's a qualified clinical psychologist, researcher and feminist. In 2020, she founded the Feminist Therapy Centre, FTC, which aims to offer an alternative to mainstream mental health practice that is often based from the viewpoints of a white, male, heteronormative majority that dominates the highest positions of power within society, including the field of psychology. And through her work, Becca uses a feminist therapy theoretical perspective that aims to liberate and empower those engaging with the service at both a personal and social level both within and outside of the therapy setting. The FTC offers one-to-one therapy, psychoeducational information via Becca's Instagram page, Dr. underscore Rebecca underscore Shalcross, and it offers in-depth courses aimed at helping women bring into consciousness the ways in which social systems and structures aim to oppress and restrict women, how this may affect their mental health, and what tools are available to them with the aim to bring more hope, joy and compassion to their lives. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome Becca to the Pause Purpose Play podcast. We've had a great chat already beforehand today so I'm starting the podcast with a smile on my face because you're just so funny and I hope that we get we can have a good laugh today so welcome on the show. Thank you it's great to be here. And obviously, we're going to talk about some serious things today. You know, the the pressure of the patriarchy is not a a laughing matter, but I do think that we might be having a sense of humour around how we discuss some of these things as well. It's just sometimes gallows humour helps us to cope with hard things, doesn't it? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started with a little bit about your story. You know, as we've read out already, we talked a little bit about what you do and who you serve, but... I want to hear a bit more about why you're so passionate about bringing in the feminist perspective into psychology and therapy. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think my interest in feminism probably started, as it does for a lot of women, I think, at university, where I was studying psychology, and, you know, lectures that we had on um, gender and pain and on the use of language, Um, really were things that kind of piqued my interest and then following that I kind of went into 
um, research and I was researching um, medication use in pregnancy and the effects upon children. And that was a really interesting experience because I was kind of routinely encountering health professionals who were prescribing medication that was kind of known to have um, effects upon the unborn fetus anyway and you know there was a literature going back 30 years or more that this was a medication that was that was having these effects and it was just really it was um, astounding to me really that this was this disconnect between what literature out was out there and kind of what was happening in clinical practice and then again when I when I was doing my clinical training following following that PhD, I again was doing research in women's health and I was studying something called vulvodynia, which is idiopathic pain that women experience in their vulva. And again, just this real kind of like experience that women were having where the medical profession just didn't understand what it was that they were experiencing. They really weren't listened to. They weren't being heard they weren't being taken seriously and you know just the huge amount of pain that women were enduring under um these patriarchal systems and this you know this is all of this really meant that it was almost impossible to for me to not be thinking about this in terms of uh, a system of oppression and um what might be the antidote to that and of course also, on the other side of that, I was actually in clinical training and the things that I was learning about was very much placing difficulties within the individual. And there was very little really around the systems in our society that oppress people that impact upon their mental health. So there was very little around patriarchy, very little around systemic racism, very little about LGBTQI plus um, and the kind of anti agenda there and so again that's what really has started to make me think about how clinical psychology can sometimes play into um, these systems of oppression when we don't acknowledge their effects upon people's mental health and so yeah so that's why I'm really passionate about it because I just have seen the effects of patriarchy particularly on women and I started uh, Mama Feminologist to share my thoughts around psychology and feminism and at the time I was you know a new mum so I was also sharing my journey of motherhood and that's really how that all began. That's really interesting of how that passion translates into you know the the career decisions that you've made that you know when we find something that is wrong in the world it can really bring up passion you know it's almost like sometimes we can be moved into action from anger from feeling this is not right this cannot carry on um we can see that from you know activists like Greta Thunberg that sometimes we get moved into action because something needs to change here and you mentioned sort of the antidote to oppression what would you think that's a big question what do you think is the antidote to oppression oh yeah that I mean that's that's a yeah it's a huge question isn't it and I think um for me, uh, it's really about firstly bringing into um, consciousness that oppression exists and that it is having an effect on us. And that's really the first step 
And, you know, what's really interesting about the system of patriarchy is it's become so internalised by women that we really do the work of patriarchy ourselves by how we talk to ourselves, how we should ourselves, and what we don't give ourselves permission to do. And so unlearning some of the things that we've been taught about what it means to be a woman in this world um, is what can form part of the antidote, certainly. And I guess that's part of the journey that people like Glennon Doyle uh, are on, you know, t- talking about her untamed book of, of helping mm. women to step back into being the cheetah rather mm. than the tamed, you know, um, I think Labrador is the example she uses. Mm. You shared a really subversive cross-stitch image uh, that I loved on Instagram, which says, I've got 99 problems and white heteronormative patriarchy is basically all of them. So that made me laugh, but it's it's funny because it's true. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about that? Why should people listening to this podcast care about white heteronormative patriarchy? White heteronormative patriarchy is a problem for everyone. I think patriarchy, if we take patriarchy as an example, so by heteronormativeness, we mean we place heterosexual relationships as the kind of norm um, and the thing in life to aspire to and patriarchy is placing the masculine and maleness as again something that's the norm the thing that is kind of given the most privilege and most weight and again when we're talking about racism and white supremacy that's when um, having a white skin tone and being a white person is given certain privileges in our society. Whilst these things are advantageous for some people, they are also harmful to everybody. So if we take patriarchy, for example, men might benefit, men and masculine presenting people might benefit from the patriarchy, but it also harms them. So if we look at how, for example, little boys are brought up, um, how they're talked to, what they're told it means to be a man in this world, it's often around boys don't cry, be tough, don't do anything that is seen as girly. And again, it's the, the use of the term girl becomes an insult, it's associated with negativity because we place the privilege within the male. But what happens is little boys then are unable to identify feelings not only are they able to they're not able to identify the feelings that they have they're then unable to express those feelings and it is therefore no coincidence that we see that the biggest killer of men under 40 is suicide and so Mm. really really important to state that systems of oppression are negative for everyone They privilege certain people if you conform to the norms of what it states is the way to be in this world. But if you deviate from those norms in any way, then that can have a negative impact on you through being oppressive. And so really striving for an egalitarian society that is equal for all, that privileges everybody and makes sure everybody's health and happiness and well-being is is of equal importance it's you know something we should all be working towards Mm. so one might almost think that the antidote to oppression is 
making sure that everyone can show up in the world in a way that's meaningful to them rather than adhering to the norm mm. of being, mm. a, being a, able to give themselves that permission, not to sort of need to give the get the permission from other people, but, you know, a man who wants to be pursue something that isn't seen as typically masculine should be able to do so without shame or judgment and a woman who wants to do who wants to be a stay-at-home mother should be able to do so without judgment or um, oppression so regardless if you are adhering to a norm or if you're breaking free of the norm what we're trying to say here is to to foster compassion and understanding and empathy and non-judgmental stances towards those life choices yeah absolutely and equal opportunity for everyone to be able to pursue that in a way that is helpful to them, helpful to them as well. Yeah, without the barriers that are put up in place, you know, I think that's one of the that's one of the key things around oppression is that it creates barriers to people yeah. accessing where they want to be, how they want to be in the world. Um, and yeah, that affects everyone, regardless of what gender they they identify with. And I, I think that's so true in the sense of those barriers you know, sometimes we can look at, you know, this is choice, but I've been so cynical about choice lately when I've been thinking about uh, women returning to the workplace after uh, parental leave and experiencing discrimination or, you know, um, unlawful dismissals and things like that. And maybe saying, well, it was her choice to uh, work fewer hours to balance the, you know, work with childcare, etc. Whereas there may not be a uh, you know, an equal choice in all hetero mm. couples where it might have been that the, the woman felt more obliged or more pressurized into taking parental leave or taking the um, flexible working work compared to her male counterpart. So sometimes I become cynical about choice. What, what do you think of that? It is a really interesting question, isn't it? Because in order for there to be true choice, it needs to come without expectations and um with again that equal opportunity to do it one way or the other and with I'm free from judgment as well from others and you know it's interesting because really going back into the workplace after maternity leave is one of the reasons that I also started Mama Feminologist and I think workplaces are so entrenched in patriarchal systems and structures that to have true flexible working that works for mothers and fathers and families, it, it's really difficult to, to find. And, you know, I was working for a university and they, in theory, have flexible working. But in practice, that still takes approval at high levels and it needs to be preset. And so that ability to just meet the needs of your child which are unpredictable, just wasn't there. And so that, yeah, that's really one of the one of the reasons that I, that I left working within a system, um, a patriarchal system, because I do feel that that is one of the things that is really, really difficult for women in particular. And yeah, being able to work outside of those systems has really freed me up to to be doing the work that I'm doing um with women who you know are are kind of internalizing these patriarchal narratives and um you know feeling not good enough feeling they need to be the super mom that they've got to put everyone's needs above their own that marriage and family is the ideal way and all of those you know all of those things can 
mean that women are feeling anxious, depressed, burnt out, lacking boundaries, having this really strong inner critic. And that's that's why I think we need to have therapy practices that take into account the systems that women are in. You know, what what are their work policies like? How many hours are they having to work? How flexible is that working? That All, all of that really, really does play a part in... Um, in the mental health of of women and in particular of mothers absolutely and then adhering to the you know living up to that expectation of being a quote-unquote good girl that starts so young mm-hmm. starts so early and then coming into structures and, and systems in schools at university in workplaces where regardless of your qualifications you still have to work ever so slightly harder to get the same recognition that a male counterpart would that's just obviously what the research shows and the sort of thinking about glass ceilings in workplaces and so on. It's a it's a topic that I'm very passionate about myself, you know, having coming from from Sweden and now having been in the UK for a decade, I definitely see a big change. There's there's things happening that weren't actually part of the agenda 10 years ago when I came, where when mm. I felt like the UK was like a good 30 years behind Sweden. But even in Sweden, when you look at, you know, how the parental leave has been set up, it's still that coming back to that you know, so-called choice that's saying that, well, men aren't choosing to take as much of that parental leave as they as they could, you know, so, and that's what is sometimes talked about in the UK as well, that, you know, there is parental leave and men aren't choosing to take it. It's because of, you know, we're thinking about toxic uh, masculinity and the, the gender roles that we assign to men as well, and not just what we assign to women. It's really hard to break through that in just one generation. So mm. it's, yeah, I think we're, we're talking about a long end game here, aren't we? But in the meantime, once you know what the the cogwheels are turning and we're trying to change the system in the meanwhile pressures are placed on the modern woman you know what what are the biggest pressures that you see is placed on modern women and how that affects their mental health yeah yeah i mean it's so i feel like it's so huge the pressures placed on modern women i think in particular i see a particular pressure that comes into play when women become mothers Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that up until that point you know often you can kind of play this man's game Um, you can work the extra hours and you can sort of the same flexibility isn't perhaps needed and it's often when women become mothers that suddenly you know the way our parental leave is set up is that Obviously, fathers can take some of that. But for myself, I was still breastfeeding my baby who wouldn't take a bottle. And so the practicalities of my male partner being able to look after our baby and me go back to work just didn't work. So it's not really even then the um, thinking around what families need isn't really hasn't really got motherhood and the family in mind. Absolutely. It's not it's not baby centric and it's not mother centric. Um, and it's difficult when it becomes all or nothing. I felt that way when I was on maternity leave from the NHS that it was like either you come back fully or you're off fully. So in that year I was off, actually what would have been better for my mental health and for my stimulation is, is being able to do a little bit of work here and there. And that's obviously the benefit of, of, of now working fully for myself. So I hear you completely about stepping out of the system and working on our own terms. Now, if I would have another children, uh, another child in the future, I could do that on my own terms. But it's very difficult when we're working in uh, 
as employees in a, in a workplace where it's literally like when are you going to come back and then you you're fully back it's very difficult yeah. to merge that together with you know juggling you know the baby's needs and how figuring out especially for first-time parents so what do you think needs to change there for for the for the parental leave to be more evenly shared out and for for the fathers to be more involved in that it needs to be that both parents can be off and have parental leave and they take it in their own right so I feel like one of the problems at the moment is that a woman has to give up part of her leave in order for her partner to then take that leave Mm -hmm. now I'm obviously I'm talking in an ideal world I don't know like what the costs and stuff were involved in that but I do know that when those costs are worked out they won't actually be taking into account the full costs of things like maternal mental health which we just see huge huge amounts of maternal mental health Mothers are unsupported, there's no community, breastfeeding support groups are caught. You know, it's just, there's just a real, it's in a real dire straits at the moment. Mm. And I think allowing both partners to have their leave, that they take independently of each other, that they can take together to be a family unit for a prolonged period of time, would be one way to make that really helpful. But I think that one of the other issues that kind of comes about when women have children is there's this automatic kind of under the radar thing that happens where they suddenly, and this is the difference between pre and post motherhood, is you're suddenly, you're the person who is called by childcare if something's wrong. You're the person reading all the parenting books. You're the person maybe doing all the night feeds if you're breastfeeding. And so you suddenly become the default parent to manage all this stuff, but also things like remembering, you know, what they like for their lunch, when parents' evening is, you know, all of these things. And so there is also, that happens quite often because women are perhaps taking the maternity leave and then it sort of just rolls on from there. You go back to work, but you still assume all of that kind of unseen, unpaid, domestic, emotional, mental labour. And really, you know, if we are involving partners from the get-go, then perhaps there is more opportunity there for those things to kind of be shared between partners. But even if that isn't the case, there is work, I think, be done because most of the women that I see in a therapeutic setting are doing the majority of this part of the emotional kind of labor and caretaking of everybody else by themselves really Mm, and we can see that during the you know the coronavirus as well I saw some data suggesting that you know uh, working parents who were juggling uh, childcare as well as work that even though both parents in a hetero couple the man and the woman working from home even though they were working the same working hours, the woman had taken on average two hours more of the childcare per day, which is just crazy because mm-hmm. why is it that she is going to be the de- default parent and do more of that if both parents are in the same boat? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting of how we think about that, how that mental load gets established so early and the emotional weight of that, the emotional labor of constantly being the go-to person. And I think you're right, you know, as a couples therapist, I see there's a lot in hetero couples where there isn't a fair division of labor, I should say. And that's because of how the the baton is placed early on. 
Whereas if we're mm-hmm. able to have an extended period of both partners being at home at the same time, regardless if they're hetero or if they're not, I guess we're talking a lot about these gender roles, but I guess even in uh, lesbian or gay couples, one partner is the uh, the kind of the, t- the caregiver and one is the, the bread maker, bread it's the bread breadwinner. <laughs> it's the bread maker. Well, that is that, if that is their business. I'm not gonna, you know, judge on bakers. Well, one of them is the breadwinner and like goes back to work. So we see the same things happen, and I've I've noticed that in um, in same sex couples where they have taken turns, like in lesbian couples where they've taken turns taking the role on of carrying the baby, birthing the baby, breastfeeding the baby, taking the uh, the parental leave, and then having two children where they've taken turns to sort of reverse the roles for the next time of how they see that happening. And it's a unique way of, of discovering how we're shaped by those roles. That it's not just men and women, it's actually who is the primary caregiver and how do we support that caregiver to not feel lost and isolated when the other partner goes back to work after two weeks. Like, I mean, that's your first baby. How, how on earth will you know what you're doing after two weeks? So no wonder mm-hmm. that the, the, the primary breadwinner um, going back to work feels that maybe less skilled. So we have so many long-term effects from this division of labor. And I think you're right, the hidden costs of, of uh, maternal mental well-being afterwards, because one of the biggest predictors of postnatal depression is isolation, not having a support system. So we're mm-hmm. probably, we would probably save money if we let people stay at home for a bit longer to establish you know, a rhythm to support, you know, to spot any signs of postnatal, um, you know, ill mental health. But these are very mm-hmm. big topics, and I'm sure we won't, we won't uh, solve all of this now. But speaking of these tough times with, uh, with the coronavirus, what, what have you noticed of how that's affected women or mothers more adversely than men? Well, certainly women who have had children, I think it will be interesting to see after this kind of period, what kind of birthing situations have been like, how women have been affected by um, policies around support and labour. And also, you know, around things like maternity leave being different to how you expected, that sense of community, again, gone, not being able to meet with other new mothers and have that support and just kind of acknowledgement maybe that yeah, I'm also struggling with this, this kind of like um, normalisation of things. Um, Women are kind of speaking to me quite a lot about. And again, you know, as you mentioned before, it's just this assumption of who picks up what and women are are being asked to um, do all of these things without any childcare, without schools being in place. Bosses assuming that female partners are going to pick up the childcare workplaces not being flexible and um you know I know I was still working for my workplace when COVID lockdown began and you know the rule was you continue to work your hours and if you can't then you take unpaid leave and it's you know these again these kind of blanket rules that are just affecting women because of the expectations that they will self-sacrifice basically um in order for their male partners and children to be able to kind of continue as they were and and of course we're we know that this isn't all men and all women but this is overall women bearing the brunt of 
policies and expectations again. Mm. And I think you're right that it's a statistical averages that we're talking about. That doesn't mean that we think that in taking a sneak peek into people's households that this will be happening uh, everywhere. But but you're right that a lot of these things are also hidden, uh, you know, hidden oppression, that these are systematic things in place that can be really hard to detect. So even in, you know, the often I work with heterocouples where the man would feel that, you know, we are equal. Why, why wouldn't we? It's very much part of my values to care for my my partner or my wife or my girlfriend. And I I, I wouldn't want to do anything to not support her. But yet these systems are in place and so much of it is invisible. So I wonder... Having had that conversation many times with these caring, you know, partners and husbands and boyfriends, how can we, you know, win them over? How can we think about finding more allies in men? Because often the word feminist gets a really bad rep with men. Maybe they're kind of misunderstanding what it's actually about. What would you like to say to men who are genuinely caring of their partners, their wives, their sisters, their daughters, but they are misinformed and, like you said in the very beginning, ignorant? not seeing this how do we win them over yeah it's a really good question and to be honest I don't think it's really about winning anyone over you know one of the things that can be super frustrating for 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 people is to try and persuade other people of the difficulties that they are facing and you know privilege is 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 not encountering those difficulties yourself mm. so not thinking they exist right that's what privilege is so if you are a man and you believe that you're in an egalitarian relationship and you care about the women in your life i would listen to what they have to say and take it seriously and you know i kind of hear this a lot about like like what do we say to men about this and you know, it isn't really our job to make this message more palatable for men. There is a wealth of literature out there that if people want to know more about it, that they can read. And I think that really, you know, reading widely, reading from authors that you wouldn't ordinarily read, read books on feminism and understand what it actually is as opposed to what you think it is you know there are books that are specifically written for men about feminism by men and you can search those um on whatever search engine you want have to you, use. just to make it easier um, people have you got any particular title that you like that you think is written in a in a fair and descriptive way i don't because i haven't actually read those i haven't read those books for men so it so if any of your listeners do read some and think that they're helpful, it would be really useful for me to know. It is something that I do get asked, so maybe I will start reading that. But maybe that's a post for Instagram for you to do to kind of look into it and ask your audience to see if they've got any good recommendations and they can get in touch with you. Yeah, definitely. And Instagram is also a really great place to find information. And there is there's someone on there called Berhi Bert, I'll give you the um, handle and perhaps it could be in the mm. show notes, but they run an Instagram account which is around dismantling patriarchy for men. And, you know, but I would also really encourage men to read books by women, to read books by queer authors, to read, read books by black authors. And, yeah, and to, you know, not just need it to come from a male author for it to be to have weight and to have authority but to to, to listen to women authors as mm. well and 
women in your life about what they are what they are telling you as but well. you're so right becca because it feels like that adds to further to the mental load of women that not only do we have to do all of these invisible tasks and carry this emotional labor we also have to educate men around how that is hard and much like we've discussed around yeah. sort of uh, the black lives Ma- uh, matter movement that it's not it's not up to people of color to educate white people about white supremacy. We have to go and use our power to go and educate ourselves. So I'm really glad that you, mm. you pointed to that to that point because I think there's a lot of spouses who come home and like, well, actually, like, can you read this book or can you do that? And it's really difficult if the other partner then isn't willing. But that to me always mm-hmm. is significant in itself. If, you're, if your spouse mm-hmm. has an issue, something they feel that they've been affected by, and that might be about, you know, sexism in the workplace or you know the impact of motherhood or you know the the expectation to look a certain way just because you're a woman even if it's something like that then they come home at the end of the day and say it's so hard to go through this and be expected to wear heels at work or etc all of this this aggression that women face and then to to not be met with support from your partner I think that is it's very significant because if your partner came home and said, you know what, I've had a really tough day at work because I had a, uh, you know, got criticized by my boss in a meeting, then your partner would possibly listen to that. Whereas if you say, you know, I had a really tough day at work because I felt that my male counterpart got listened to a lot more than me. And that's because I'm a woman and that happens a lot in our workplace. Then suddenly your partner doesn't want to listen because that's just feminist stuff. Then to me, it is still, you're mm. still bringing up an issue. You're bringing up something that's been uh, affecting you emotionally and you want to make space to talk about it. So you're right. I'm really mm-hmm. glad we, we addressed that because, yes, it's it's not up to women. It's not our responsibility to fix it. It's, you know, we, we need to, we need men to also use their power um, as they are often the change makers in current society. Mm-hmm. So we need them to use that position of power and privilege to 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 help us out. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, we got really serious now, haven't we? So in terms of all this <laughs> pressure, the, you know, the pressure of the patriarchy and all the work that we do, um, Kind of thinking a bit, getting a bit personal now, thinking of, of, you know, obviously the podcast is called Pause, Purpose, Play. So I want to think a little bit about you now of with everything you've achieved, you know, we've all summer, we've been part of the Psychology Collective on the the Village Group together with Emma Swanberg, trying to help uh, parents go through a global pandemic. And then you're having, you know, social media presence, spreading all of these important messages of dismantling. How do you switch off, Becca? What do you do to release the pressure and find some rest of recovery, giving yourself the permission to pause? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Um, but I mean, I I totally give myself permission um, to pause. That's not necessarily something that I used to do and it's something that I've worked on and actually stepping out of being employed and working for myself has made that so much easier. I don't put everyone else's needs before my own. I talk with friends who make me feel really good. Like I think about, you know, who's in my life. I think about that. I think about who am I consuming on Instagram. I also do things like I invest in myself. And so at the moment, like I'm doing a retreat called Worthy as Fuck. Um, (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Dr. Sarah Coxon, she's a really great person to follow on Instagram. And I also do things like I watch Netflix, like I put the baby to bed and I watch Netflix and I don't tell myself I should be doing something more productive. You know, I think not being productive is a really good thing to to not always be in that productive mode. And also I nap. I, pr- I pretty much nap every day. So when my toddler naps, 
I have an app as well and again that's so much easier yeah I love an app it's I feel like for me that's something that keeps me feeling really um well and good and allows me to kind of be um really into things and really enthused about things uh kind of when I am in work mode as well and it's so important to acknowledge that that we have that pressure to always be productive and to to purposefully be non-productive breaks that good girl narrative I think that you know actually I'm fuck it I'm just gonna watch yeah. you know my my current thing is this is us I love it so much uh, so I just watched This Is Us on Netflix and, you know, that is okay. And that doesn't mean that I don't have to do something else at the same time or if I watch that, then I need to do exercise the next day or, you know, we don't have to compensate our rest periods with more productivity to feel good enough. It's okay to deserve and be worthy of rest and recovery. And I think a lot of that narrative to be good girl has, has kind of fed a lot of high-striving women towards exhaustion. So I'm really glad that you yeah. really promote those simple measures of have a nap, you know, lie down when your baby or your child is lying down. And it's it can be really restorative. We talked a lot about your yeah. purpose already, I think. You know, I think your passion really shines through this entire episode. And it started from you and I sending each other voice notes on WhatsApp. I'm like, almost like raging about the, the patriarchy and thinking this just needs to be captured <laughs> on the podcast. But lastly, I want to think a little bit about how you play. You know, what is fun, creative or innovative for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, play It's an interesting one, isn't it? I always feel like when you become a parent, play sometimes feels a bit like it becomes another chore that you're supposed mm-hmm. to do with your child. So I think for me, I do find social media a really creative place. I really love it. I really love the connections that I make on there um, and the ideas that are out there. So for me, that is part of my my play. And, you know, I think with my little one, I think we probably play in a way that's quite different. So like, for example, I will do chores with my little one and he will, he doesn't know that that's not play. So I think I kind of incorporate it more into my daily life than kind of seeing it as something like that I set aside time to do. Finding it kind of within those daily chores or within your work can really just help it to become, you know, not just another thing that's added to your to-do list, but kind of a way of being in the world. And just letting it organically emerge when when it comes up, when it's an opportunity to you know, empty the dishwasher and do like a little drum drum show with with a couple of spoons or whatever it might be that comes out. And I think you're right. It's when we play with our children, it can often feel like another must or another pressure, especially if play is difficult. And a lot of a lot of women have been brought up that that's the the, the play and the fun is the, the that's a daddy's role. You know, daddy daycare. You know, he will all have the fun mm-hmm. and the women will set the boundaries and do the the child rearing and you know the be the the bad cop uh, and I think that's that's an image that we need to get away with that it's okay for women to drop the housework and just if they find pleasure from it to get down on the floor and play with the kids as well but it's hard yeah. to you know to do that and you're playing on your own terms and not having to do Slovenian families for three hours straight that it's okay to to play on <laughs> your own terms so do you use play in your business any in any way so that's sort of what you feel that you get from from social media that that's kind of like playful and creative by chatting to people and putting things out there yeah definitely for sure I think for me play is so you know a big part of it is connection I guess 
So I'm not I'm not entirely sure that I would use the word play in terms of what I yeah, what I'm doing day to day. But depending on how you define that, yeah, I think around connecting with people and yeah, le- like I really like that leaving those kind of boundaries, you know, of being that kind of we've almost like lost this connection to our bodies, haven't we? And our ability to kind of get on the floor or get dirty and you know one thing that I love at the moment is my toddler really loves being outside and he's just at that age where he's learning that he can roll down a hill and so we were both just rolling down hills and that is not something I've done since probably I was like seven or eight years old and so just kind of like being able to let go of the inhibitions that we hold in our bodies as well and dancing dancing and music Mm. obviously is something that's so so great for that like put on that I did it before this podcast actually I put on some like 90s dance music sing your heart out dance your heart out no one's watching and that is just such a great way of loosening up all of those restrictions that have been put on you by society I think I love that you know thinking of of play it's almost like a rebellion against the the shackles that hold us all of what we're supposed to do and you know we're you know in childhood we were taught very early on that you need to start sitting still and not moving so it's really nice then as an adult to rediscover that you know what I can let's race you to the car and see who gets there first or you know I'll pretend to be a monster and chase you through the woods and it's it's not something I ever did before I became a parent so it's it's really nice to, to do what you're saying there on letting go and just being in that moment getting dirty or rolling down a hill so really lovely image to to finish with, I think. What's the one tangible takeaway you would like to give to the listeners? You know, maybe a permission you want to give them or any pressure you want to try to take off them, what would that be? Mm, yeah, I think permission to be yourself, to acknowledge your desires, to acknowledge your feelings, no matter how difficult they may feel to follow your dreams and prioritize yourself I think like we are not here on this planet to be in service of other people all of the time you know you are here to live this one life that you have and so I think yeah just permission to do that as your authentic self that is great and I think that includes setting some boundaries and not always putting other people's needs first like you said in in your way of pausing and looking after yourself is knowing that balance of not always flowing out to others, but also flowing into yourself. So thank you so much, Becca, for this very rich conversation where we could have easily also got a bit angry, which I frequently get when I think about the the patriarchal pressures. But it's also good to slow it down and really reflect like what are some of the answers. And they're bigger than just you and me. But for people who found this interesting, they, you know, they can find you on social media and you've got an interesting rebrand coming up. So obviously when we're recording this, you are still Mama Feminologist. But what will be your new uh, handle and uh, website? My new handle will be at Dr. Underscore Rebecca Underscore Sharkross. Um, on Instagram and then my website will be thefeministtherapycenter.co.uk and hopefully that will be in the next couple of weeks so by the time this goes out. Fantastic thank you so much Becca and I will put all of that in the show notes and you made a couple of recommendations that I will speak to you afterwards to also get in the show notes. So thank you so much for for coming online and speaking to me today. Brilliant thank you so much for having me.
goodness me listeners this was a very interesting recording i did with becca and we continued to talk afterwards and i wish i would have kept the recording going because we covered some more really great topics around how women don't charge enough and how we hold ourselves back in various ways as psychologists and as uh, people so i think i'm gonna have to bring becca back for another episode in the future if you really liked this episode and you would like to see her back again please let me know if there's anyone else you think would be great on this podcast drop me a message send me an email through the thomas connection website and as always please spread this podcast to other people rate, review, and let me know what you think. This is how I learn. Thank you. And until the next time, please take care of yourself. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. You can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.